Amen. You can grab a seat and you can also grab your Bible if you would like. We're going to be in John chapter 5. We're going through the book of John. We're going to cover 29 verses here this morning. And I want to start with a question, and it's a question I believe that really this passage is about. And it's a question that I think every single person asks at least at some point in their life. And the question is this, why does Jesus heal some and not all? Why does Jesus heal some people but willingly does not heal every single person. You ever thought about that when you read about Jesus' ministry? Anybody ever thought about that? Here's what I'm sure you've thought about. If you haven't thought about Jesus healing some and not all as you read through the story of Jesus, here's what I bet you've at least thought. You've brought that question to modern day. Have you ever asked yourself, why does Jesus heal this person or that person but he hasn't healed me yet. Why has Jesus healed that person of cancer, but my grandmother died? You ever, you ever thought about that? Why does Jesus heal some, but not all? And, and, and I think this, this question is extremely important because every single one of you will walk through a scenario in your life where you are going to say, Jesus, make it stop. Has that ever happened? Jesus, take this away. Every single one of you will walk through a season. Some of you are in that season right now where you're saying, Jesus, I'm depressed. Why aren't you taking it away? Jesus, I have a chronic illness why are you not taking it away? You, you, you've taken away other chronic illnesses. What, why, why not mine? Or, Jesus, why can't we have children? Or, Jesus, why have we had miscarriages? Jesus, what, why, did I, why did I lose my job? Jesus, why did my spouse divorce me? Jesus, why, 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 why? Anybody? Anybody? Just give me an amen if you're with me. Why does Jesus heal and take care of and smooth out and make just right some of the physical, emotional, spiritual brokenness that we have? And sometimes he doesn't. This passage answers that question. And I'm going to give you two warnings. Warning number one. He doesn't answer, John does not answer this question in verse 1. So it's going to take us a little moment. We've got to build. And, and then here's the other warning. It might not be the answer you want to hear, but I promise you this. It is the answer you need to hear. Aren't those the worst? I sound like a parent to children right now, Okay. I'm sorry, I'm not treating you as children, though the Lord would call you his children, so I'm just saying. So, so, so let's, let's think about that. Let's carry that. We're going to carry it for a while here. Why does Jesus heal some, but not all? So John chapter 5, 
It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there was in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five five roofed colonnades. In these lay, listen to this, in these lay a what? Multitude of invalids. They're blind, they're lame, they're paralyzed. And there's one man, one of the multitude, one of many, and he was there, and he had been an invalid for 38 years. He's been paralyzed for 38 years. So just think about that for a moment. 30 year, 38 years he's been paralyzed. There's no wheelchairs then. Solely, completely dependent upon others for everything. And the picture that John wants us to get is there's this pool. It was probably more like a pond. It wasn't necessarily large. And there's a multitude of people. They all have a permanent prognosis. They all have something wrong with them that cannot be healed outside of a miracle. You know what I've realized? So when you're a pastor, um, you have the privilege where people will come to you and ask for prayer. They will come to you and they will share things that they won't share with everybody. Which sometimes I'll talk about with my my mom likes to talk to me and uh, talk to me about ministry. And of course, I don't name names, but I'll I'll just share some some things that that are happening in our church. And she'll say, I don't know how you carry that, Zach. I don't know how you can hear about all of this brokenness. And I just sit there and go, yeah, it's, it's, cra- it, it's no longer crazy to me because you know yourself. But here's what I found. Every single one of you is carrying a kind of brokenness in your life. Some of you, it might be a little bit more weighty than others in this season. I, so, at least twice a month, I hear about someone who has cancer. Sometimes three or four times a month. Sometimes it's twice a week. Um, the amount of stories I've heard about the trauma that a number of you have walked through. Physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. Um, The amount of people that I know who have chronic illnesses. The amount of people who who are clinically depressed. This is who is sitting at this pool right here. And there are a lot of you that are sitting at this same pool. You feel that you have a kind of prognosis, not just to maybe your physical health, but maybe um, emotional health, that you are wondering if you'll ever be healed. That's these people. Um, Now, the reason why they're at this pool is because there was, it was, 
It was folklore, really, what it was. There was this belief that God would send an angel, and the angel would come and stir up this pool, and the first one to get into the pool would be healed like that. If you were second or third, mm -mm, not good enough for God, you'd not be healed. But that was the belief. And it seems crazy to us. It seems like, wow, they actually believed that God was going to send this angel, stir up, and the first one in gets it, and the second one, you're out of luck. But friends, when you're that broken, when you're that hurt, you, you, you are hanging on for any kind of hope, every kind of hope. That's these people. And there's a man there who's been paralyzed for 38 years, which is kind of crazy because most people were lucky to live till they were 38. Let's listen to what happens next. When Jesus saw him, I love that. There's a sermon right there. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps in before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. That sounds simple enough, right? How many of you, you'd love Jesus to say that to you? Right here, right now. Get up. You're done with Fill in the blank with whatever you're struggling with, whatever you feel like is permanent in your life, that baggage that you're carrying. Imagine if Jesus said, get up, start walking. And so, verse 9, and at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Okay, a few things that need to be pointed out in this passage. Um... Jesus asked, do you want to be healed? Now, D.A. Carson, who writes a commentary on the book of John, it is um, not even arguably, it is the greatest commentary on the book of John that we have, extremely exhaustive. He very helpfully points out that Jesus' question should not be interpreted as a kind of psychologizing of the moment. It's not as if Jesus is asking this question to, to teach us that, The very first step for you to be healed is a desire to be healed. That's actually not the point that Jesus is trying to make. And I listen to other sermons whenever I prepare for a sermon. And uh, a couple of the sermons, that's what the pastor pointed out. Like, Jesus is saying, you you need to get well if you really want to get well. And so we need to ask ourselves, do we want to get well? I think that's actually a legitimate question. It's not the point of the passage then why is Jesus asking if he wants to get well? Here's the other thing worth pointing out. Jesus saw this man and he knew, he knew the situation. Jesus doesn't ask this question because he's trying to make a psychological point of you you need to desire to get well first. Jesus asked this person if they want to get well because he saw them, had compassion on them, and wanted to see them get well. You know what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is being Jesus. 
This is what Jesus does. So listen, listen. Some of you, you are in that season. You are in that moment where you feel like you have some permanent prognosis. You have some sort of baggage, hardship, illness, whatever it might be that you're carrying. And Jesus, you need to know, Jesus is going, I see you. I see you. I see you. I know. In fact, I actually know better what's going on in your heart and your soul than you do. I see it. Isn't that amazing? He sees it. I'm reminded of John chapter 1, uh, verse 16. One of the most important past parts of the book of John. When John says, the fullness of Jesus is grace upon grace. Like, like what is the essence of Jesus? John would say, Grace upon grace. That Greek word grace, charis, it literally means God's favor. God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. And he says, you know what Jesus is made of? You know what the fullness of Jesus is? It's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. So if you could peel back the layers of Jesus... You could literally peel back forevermore and you'd never get to the end of his grace. It's not like you peel back 127 layers and find you're like, see, I knew he wasn't gracious. You just got to pull back far enough. This is who Jesus is. I don't know if you ever struggle with this. I was talking with someone in our church just a couple of weeks ago and they were just sharing how they're going through a season in their life where they just feel like God is just blessing them and just a kind of joy and blessing that they, they haven't experienced at least in a long time. And she said to me, it's like, I, like I'm just kind of waiting for like God to turn things around and for things to get bad. And I go, I've so been there. I told you, Jerry. You know who was in charge of putting that up? <laughs> well, ultimately, I guess I'm the leader. I should be in charge. I, I... <laughs> okay, you know what? Um, yeah, I was the one who put that up. Now we can all, at least I can see through and see who's walking to the back. I'm judging you right there. Um, okay, that's where I was. I don't know if you struggle with this, but I've struggled this before, where God is just taking you through a, a season of blessing, and you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. That is a false gospel, friends. Don't ever believe that. There are difficult seasons that God desires us, appoints for us to walk through. He does. But his grace is still there. That's when we need to utter the words of Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for the Lord is with me. And so Jesus is just being Jesus. So you're struggling, you're hurting, you're wondering why God hasn't just taken away your, your, your hardship that you're in or the physical ailment that you have. It's not because Jesus is saying, you deserve this. 
He's there. He sees. He knows. But let's be honest. We're still left wondering, why does he heal just this one man? Let's keep reading. Look at this. Now that was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed and walk. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man had been healed, did not know who it was. Just side note, this man... He gets healed, and there is no act of faith on his part. He doesn't even know who did it. He doesn't even have the gratitude to say, hey, 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 what's your name? So I can thank you. No, no act of faith. So, so those of you who, who are in this season or will go through this season where maybe it's you're having miscarriages or maybe your dad gets cancer or maybe just fill in the blank and you're going, oh, it's because I don't have enough faith. That's why God's not doing it. This man has zero faith and, and Jesus still heals him. Grace upon grace. Now that man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had, what did he do? He had withdrawn. But Jesus, there's a multitude of other people who are sick. Why don't you heal them? There's 20, 30, 50. You get the idea. There could be up to 100 or so people there who have a permanent prognosis. Jesus, I imagine him. It's not like this guy's sitting on the outskirts. I imagine Jesus kind of like weaving in and out of these people who are broken and have permanent physical ailments. Finally comes to one guy, heals him, weaves in and out of these broken people and, and withdraws. Why doesn't he just heal everyone? Why didn't he just heal you? It's pretty easy. Apparently he doesn't even take any faith for some reason. Verse 14. This, 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 is, this is where things change direction. Afterwards, Jesus found him, that is the man who'd been healed, in the temple and said to him, now notice what Jesus says. I've never noticed this before, ever. See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. I've never noticed this part before, this last part, until about a month ago. I've read this passage a number of times. I've even preached on this passage before, but I never really noticed that statement. Do you know what I wrote in the margins of my Bible? I wrote, what could be worse than being paralyzed for 38 years? Jesus says that nothing worse may happen to you. What could be worse than this guy being paralyzed for 38 years? And imagine, he's probably not married, probably has no kids. The amount of emotional brokenness this man had didn't even compare to the physical brokenness that he had. What could be worse? And notice that what could be worse seems to be connected to sinning. 
Okay, so we started with this question, why does Jesus heal some but not all? We just added another question. Don't, don't worry, it doesn't mean the sermon's going to get longer. Um, but we just added another question. What could be worse than being paralyzed for 38 years? The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. What does that mean? What does Jesus mean when he, when he tells these the Jews here are the religious leaders, almost certainly? What does it mean when he says, my father is working until now, and I am working. What, what does he mean? This morning we were having our prayer group, and I prayed um, without even thinking of it. I said, Lord, would you work in the hearts of those who come here this morning? And right after I prayed that, I thought, wait, I don't even need to pray that. Because Jesus says, it's already happening, Zach. So, so think of it this way. Many of you come in here with some burdens in your life. Some feel heavier than others. Some of you, your burden is a kind of trauma that you've experienced when you were a kid, and you're still carrying the baggage of it. Some of you are carrying the weight of a physical ailment that you have and continue to carry. Some of you are carrying the burden of just your present life circumstances, of it's just hard being a mom, or it's hard being a dad, or it's just hard. You, you all come in here with burdens, and Jesus says, did you know that the Father and I were working in your hearts right here, right now? That's amazing that the Father is at work right here, right now. Verse 18, it says, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Now, I love what happens here. They get really ticked off and really angry. You can't do this. You are using language that makes you equal with God. And what does Jesus say in response to their accusation? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly. Translation, Jesus says, true, true. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually using language that makes me equal with God. I'm, I'm glad that you caught on to that. That's kind of the point. But listen to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord. Listen to this. But only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Here's what this means. That when Jesus heals this man who's been paralyzed for 38 years, Jesus is saying, that was the heart of the Father. Now, maybe you're not like this. I didn't necessarily grow up being taught this, but there, we live in a culture that would tell you um, God 
is kind of like good cop, bad cop. It's like the father is bad cop. The father is the one who judges. We call that Old Testament God. He's the one who judges. He's the one who brings wrath. He's the one who's got the rule book out and saying, uh-uh, no, no. But then don't worry, guys. We've got a good cop. We've got Jesus who comes. And, you know, he kind of smooths out the things that the father really kind of made a bad name for himself for. And Jesus is the one. He's the compassionate one. He's the gracious one. He's the loving one. Okay, we settled it. Good thing we've got Jesus. And Jesus is going, whoa, 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 whoa. Every single thing I'm doing is from the Father. There's no good cop, bad cop. When I healed that person, that was from the Father. When I feed the 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish, yep, Father again. You have a Father in heaven. Who loves you. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of the Father. Do you want to know what the Heavenly Father is like? Just read through the Gospels and watch Jesus do his thing. That's the heart of the Father. We don't, guys, we don't have a Father in heaven who is looking at your brokenness and going, you had it coming to you. You don't. And some of us, we can go there. So here we go, guys. What you've been waiting for. Why does Jesus heal some and not others? Jesus says, and greater works than these will he, that is the Father, show him, that is Jesus, so that you may marvel. Okay, let's make sure we get ourselves under this verse. Something greater is going to happen. Greater works, more specifically. Greater works than these is the Father going to do. What are the these? What are the these? It's the physical healing that he just did. Jesus goes, you thought that was impressive? You thought that was great? You thought that was cool? You know what's greater than a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years getting healed? You know what's greater? That's when you say, what? What's greater? What's greater? Anybody? What's greater? Thank you for asking. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Do you know what happened to this man after he was healed? Do you know what happened to him? He died, guys. You can't find, it's not like you go to Jerusalem, like, where's that guy Jesus healed? No, he died. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You know what happened to Lazarus? Also died. Every single person Jesus healed, dead, 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 dead. They all died. And Jesus Jesus is saying this 
Why does Jesus heal some of their physical ailments and not all? Jesus did not come for the sake of healing every single physical, emotional, psychological illness you have. He came to heal you from the thing that is killing you. That is your sin. And that when we trust in him, we have the promise of the resurrection. That we will rise. Do you know what is much worse? Much worse than 38 years being paralyzed? It's to die and not spend eternity with Jesus. Why don't we ever think about this? It's a rare thing for us to think about the resurrection. It's a rare thing to think about Revelation 21, where Jesus says, at the resurrection, I will wipe away every single tear from every single eye. At the resurrection, there will be no sickness there will be no sin. Did you know this? Really, Jesus will heal every single physical ailment. It just might take the resurrection for that to happen. Um, I love 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. It says... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a, let's say it together, living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Here's what Peter is saying. You know what's absolutely incredible? That no matter what happens, if you know Jesus, you will rise from the dead. There is a such thing as a resurrection. And do you know how long the resurrection will last? Hold on, it's going to hurt your brain. Forever. You ever just sat around and thought about forever? Peter says, I want to remind you of this, that you have a living hope. I want to remind you that though you are not healed now, you will be. I want to remind you that you may be paralyzed now, but not always. I was um, running on my treadmill um, my garage was open this week, and I'm running on the treadmill, and I've got one of those door-to-door -door guys coming, and um, I, my opinion of those people are the same as yours, and I'm like, oh, I've got to you know, press stop on my treadmill, I've got to get off, and so I get off, and I go to him, and I see that he's limping, and he's got this cane, and he's much older than I am, um, and, and it seems as if whatever he's got going on here, it's not going to be healed in this life. And so he does his little sales pitch about cutting down trees and all that business and uh, letting him know I'm good. And, and he said, because uh, he saw me on the treadmill, he said, 
One day I used to be, one day I used to do, one day I did that. I could do that. And this sermon was on my mind. I go, hey, one day you will again. And he looked at me like I just insulted him. It's like, wait, hold on. Yeah, might need some explaining. I missed the opportunity. I should have been like, hey, because there's the resurrection. But literally, that's what Peter's saying. I think this is hard for us to get, though. Because we, we, we listen, we, we live in a culture that has defined success based upon instant gratification. You can only be happy, you can only be joyful if you're prospering now. But what if you're not? What if you do get stage four cancer at 40? What if you do get in an accident and you're, you're not going to be able to run again? What if you have a miscarriage? What if your spouse gets sick? What if you get a chronic illness? What if there's a lot of people I know who are depressed? What if, you, what if that's what you have? Is there any hope? And Peter, who is writing to a bunch of Christians who are literally getting in prison and murdered for the sake of the gospel, says, guys, we have a living hope that no matter what happens, you will rise. And, and he says, it's in heaven. Like, literally, God is protecting it. And, and listen, nobody can take that away from you. Nobody. But how often do you think about that? How often do you think about that day in which Jesus will wipe away every single one of your tears? I don't think we think about it enough. And I want to remind you, both First Peter says this, and then back in verse 24, we need to see that Jesus is the only one who gives us this. It says, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has this eternal life. He does not come into judgment. I want you to hang on to that for a moment. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Friends, the resurrection is there for you. Eternal life is there for you through Christ alone. You, you do not have this promise of the resurrection without Jesus Christ as your Savior. But that's why Jesus came. But I love this. I, he's not done. We'll conclude with what we see here. So, you get cancer. So, you are told that you're always going to struggle with depression. Or, you're going to have this chronic illness forever. 
And so you say to yourself, okay, I have the hope of the resurrection. I know this is not forever. I know that one day I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to stand before Jesus. I'm going to have a new body. And then I'm going to be able to do everything there is. But there's a thought that goes inside your head that goes like this. But today really sucks. And it looks like I've got another 20 or 30 years of this sucky life. So, Zach, what, 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 come on. Well, what do I do there? Just, you know, have a good attitude. One day things are going to be good, but right now, devastating. Love what Jesus says next. We never talk about this. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and it's here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear it will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Now, he's, just, he's reiterating what you just said. The resurrection is coming. We're going to rise. We're going to be with Jesus. New bodies. But listen to this. And he has given him authority to execute judgment. Because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Anybody want to go there? Yep. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus is painting a very clear picture that we will see throughout the rest of Scripture and we'll especially see it in Revelation 20 where we will all stand before Jesus and give an account of our life. It's called the final judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of our life and receive, whether good or bad. We will all stand before Jesus and give an account of our life. My mom asked me yesterday, what are you preaching on? I said, the resurrection and the final judgment. She goes, oh. Yeah, I've never really liked that. She's a Christian. I go, I go why not? I've never really understand this idea that... Um, like, I'll stand before Jesus and give an account of my life, and yet, like, oh, and the bad stuff, and, I, like, I thought I was saved from that, and, like, wait, am I, am I saved from that bad stuff, or am I going to have to, like, give an account? Like, this is, um, this is where we get purgatory. This is where the Catholic Church gets purgatory. It's not a doctrine of God's word. At least, I, it's nowhere in there. Here's what this is saying. Every single one of you will stand before Jesus and give an account of your life and how you lived your life. And every single bad thing you did, Jesus is right there going, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Took care of it on the cross. So you go, amen. It's paid for. 
the sin, the guilt, the wrath you deserve for that, Jesus said, paid for on the cross. But if you don't know Jesus, it is not paid for. And Revelation 20 says, the payment will be eternally separated from God. The language is called hell. And Jesus says, but for those who know me, all the bad you've done has been paid for, but listen to this, all your good will be rewarded. Let's end here. I said that about John. Last passage. I promise this is it. Just here's where we get practical. Here's where we find purpose in our suffering. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians, talking about the resurrection, verse 15, it says, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Listen to this. So we do not lose heart. Though, listen, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. How do you not lose heart when you are literally outwardly wasting away? How do you not lose heart when you're depressed? How do you not lose heart when you got news you got stage four cancer? How do you not lose heart when it's another miscarriage? How do you not lose heart when their outer circumstances are exhausting, difficult, frustrating, and hurtful? That's what Paul's talking about. How do I not lose heart when I've got 40 years till the resurrection? How do I not lose heart in this condition I'm certainly going to live until I die and am raised with Jesus? How do I not lose heart? Anybody want to know? He says, for this light and momentary affliction. So name your affliction. Just name it in your head. Some of you, it's the affliction of raising some children that are really difficult in this season. I don't want to understate that by any means. Some of you, the affliction is, it's physical. It's emotional. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing. Everybody say preparing. For us, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Here's what this means. Your suffering is not meaningless. Here's what this means. That if you get cancer and you suffer through chemo for two years and then die... Your faithfulness to the Lord is preparing a weight of glory that will last forever. 
that your current suffering and your faithfulness to Christ through it is literally preparing, storing up for you a weight of glory in heaven that will last for eternity. So those of you who are sitting here going, man, I don't want to wait until the resurrection for my body to finally be healed. I don't want to wait for the resurrection for my mind to be healed. I don't want to wait for the resurrection for things to just be fine and dandy and great. And Paul says, you need to understand that your faithfulness in your affliction to the glory of God is preparing a weight of eternal glory. Everything you're going through, it's not meaningless. It's not meaningless. It's preparing a weight of glory in eternity. And for those of us who are like, well, what is it? What is it? What is it? Paul goes, um, well, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In other words, you and I probably never get to see in this lifetime the weight of glory that has been stored up for your faithfulness to Christ. But one day you will. One day you will. And so for those of you who are walking through affliction, set your eyes on the things that are unseen. Set your eyes on Jesus, because his eyes are already set on you. And walk faithfully before him, knowing that even in the midst of the suffering, it is not meaningless. It is preparing a weight of glory for your eternity. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you, you are far more concerned about our current physical and emotional state. You you have an eternity set before us. We all here have a living hope, and I thank you and I praise you for that. Lord, would you help us to put our eyes on our living hope? Would you help us put our eyes on the eternity we get to have with you? Would you put our eyes on the things that are unseen and remind us in the midst of our affliction that our faithfulness to you, Lord, you are preparing a way of glory. Help us to see that in your name. As we worship this morning, I want to invite you to come to the table um, and receive the elements, the bread and the cup, which is a reminder of what Jesus purchased for us. He, he died for our sins. And then he rose from the dead so that we too will one day rise. And, and I'd love for you to come and Take the elements and then back to your seat and just think about the things Jesus has died for in your life and his faithfulness to you. Shall we stand and worship?